All right, how many like to sing? That's almost everybody. How many uh, like to make just a joyful noise because you don't think you can sing? <laughs> okay. Well, the Bible, you're in good uh, you know, hands with the Bible. I'm really loud here, Caleb. You're in good hands uh, with uh, Scripture and abiding in Scripture because it says, make a joyful noise. Uh, now, I think one day all our voices will be purified and glorified and we'll be able to sing like the angels. And how many like to sing when you're in the house by yourself to the top of your lungs when nobody's hearing? <laughs> I love that. That's one of the things, a few things that started happening in recent years because after 13 kids, and when the last one finally went off to college and then Susan went off to law school, I woke up one day like the Home Alone guy and I go, I'm all alone. 40 years and I'm all alone. Here I am. And so I started singing. I walked through the house and sing, and I know that the people in the nursing home across the street can probably hear me. And I've been singing in the shower. One time I was singing in the shower, and I knew Susan was in the house, but she's used to it. But I turned it up on, my, on the little jam box I have so I could sing louder, so I could be more full. And I was singing loud. And when I walked out, I, after I got dressed, when I walked out, there was Susan and Hannah. And Hannah goes, very good, Dad. <laughs> anyway, so I love singing. Singing says a lot about us. And this past year, if you have Spotify or some similar thing, uh, one of the things that Spotify does that I really enjoy is it summarizes your songs for the last year, the top songs. It's so cool. At the end of the year, it goes, here's what you listened to last year and how many times you listened to it and everything. And it gives you a thing like, uh, you know, a whole readout. So hopefully you're able to do that because it's pretty cool to look back and see how many times have you sung this song or looked at, listened to this song. Well, uh, my top list included Fernando Ortega, Audrey Assad, Lauren Daigle, Sovereign Grace, Christy Knuckles, the Violin Sisters. I got really hooked on them. There are two, two sisters that play the violin and they do some Christian music as well as other classical music. And I really started listening to them a lot. City of Light, even Simon and Garfunkel, I listened to them some. Music for Alyssa's wedding and father-daughter dance when she wanted to get married. She said, we have to get a father and daughter dance song. So I, she sent me some samples, and so that showed up pretty high because I was listening to them several times so I could get ready for that. At the top of my list, the very top song apparently was, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus by Andre Assad. And uh, also Fernando Ortega's, the one that says, it's, I don't know how you pronounce it, Trisagion. That Latin, I guess, word that means holy God have mercy on us is that song. And then uh, Lauren Daigle's Thank God I Do. I really love that song. I heard it in concert and then I started listening to it because it describes how many things and people are falling away from the faith in this age and, and how she has cast herself on the Lord saying, thank God I have you. Otherwise, I'd fall off the edge. So I loved that one. And then trust in you. And uh, I, I love the sands of time or sinking. I've been listening to that a lot. So what's on your list? I'd love to know. That says a lot about us. Because getting to know you and the state of your soul even can be partially discerned by the kind of music you listen to. So let's talk about the prevalence and the power of music in our current world. The title of my sermon, as you may have guessed, is Navigating the World with a biblical compass, the world of music that is. Music is a key cultural expression. 
that we have. It's almost an obsession, and it's an influence in virtually every generation. Even before creation, in Job 38, 7, when God created the heavens, when God speaks, after 37 chapters of everybody arguing over why do the righteous suffer and what's God up to, God finally speaks. And when He first speaks, He says something like, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then He tags that later with this line, when I laid the foundations of the earth, it's when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So those sons of God before we were created apparently, because it was before He laid the foundations of the earth, then you've got the sons of God mentioned, perhaps the angels, singing and shouting. And from the beginning to the end, at the end of the book of Revelation, there's a continuing song in the new creation. And Revelation 14.2 says, I heard a voice from heaven, like a voice of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. I heard the voice of harpists playing their harps, and they sang as it were a new song before the throne. The first musical instruments that are mentioned uh, in the Bible is Jubal. Jubal was the seventh uh, generation from Cain. Well, remember, Cain's the one that killed his brother and gets driven off by God. And so this is not exactly the godly line. And, and, and as you read some of the folks in his line, you realize this is not a godly line. So Jubal, when he creates the, uh, the first instruments, it's the harp and the flute. There's a lesson there. It's not who creates the instruments. <laughs> it's how you use them. But he created the harp and the flute. And interestingly enough, if you ever look at some of those timelines of history, one of the most famous is Bernard Grun's timeline of history. The, the very interesting, when he, it tracks civilization. It doesn't track all the possible dating of cave drawings and, and, and where civilizations were in, in terms of the rock. But it, it tracks it in terms of civilization. In other words, when did man have settle down and do farming and build homes and build communities and, and begin to have culture. And, and so the very first entry, there's nothing along all the categories of culture except uh, the calendar. And it says Egypt created a calendar. And then in the very second line, 3500 to 4000 BC, guess what it says? The, the only thing, well there's, there are several lines but there's nothing before this. Egypt created, or Egypt is playing flutes and harps. Egypt is playing flutes and harps. Jabel makes these instruments, it becomes popular. Apparently Egypt got a hold of them and they were playing flutes and harps. 3500 to 4000 BC, about that time. Interesting, isn't it? The first musical instruments. Now man was created to express himself through art and music is probably one of the greatest ways he does that. The prevalence of music is interesting. It's everywhere in our culture. Many of us wake up to music, shower to music, exercise to music, drive to work and back to music. It creates the ambiance in our restaurants. It's the soundtrack for movies. We go to the concerts and the operas and the ballets. There's a website called Concert Full that claims to have all of the concerts of the popular artists listed for the 2024. There's, more, there's a thousand of them, nearly a thousand artists and they have multiple concerts. Taylor Swift, for instance, is going to have 86 concerts apparently scheduled for this year. So you've got a thousand artists, with some of them with dozens of concerts, just soaking our nation in music. That's every genre. And I was looking at the genres, and I don't even understand some of these. Alternative rock, indie, hard rock, heavy rock, heavy metal, pop and soft rock, country, 
folk, rap, hip-hop, classical instrument, punk, garage punk, garage rock, soul, R&B, progressive rock, for crying out loud, how do you distinguish between all those in terms of style? And this doesn't include all these concerts, the 1200 plus symphony orchestras, the 50 or 60 major ballet companies, and a plethora of other operas and so forth. Not, not to mention all the local music festivals. There's an article, uh, another article that's, uh, that I found on the internet that says, what has America been singing about? It was an analysis of, of the top 40 songs from 1960 to 2010. And the predominant topic, what do you guess is the predominant topic of all that music? Love. Love, love, love. All you need is love. <laughs> Isn't that right? And so the, uh, it's love and it's romance and it's sexual relationships. In fact, the sexual aspects of it got sh more sharply uh, explicit through the years, it says, from the 60s to the uh, 2000s. It also, another thing that was increasing in their theme was dancing, alcohol, drugs, status, and wealth. Friendships got kind of a modest appearance, but sex and alcohol and drugs and status and wealth were at the top. And the article concluded that popular music both reflects and constructs the adolescent agenda, which leads us into our next item, the power of music. It can greatly influence our mental and emotional state. It can influence our memory, our mood, and our perception of reality. Music is very powerful. It's a language of its own. It's used to express and promote anger, protest, rebellion, or joy, meditation, and relaxation. Music literally lights up, as many studies have shown, lots of areas of the brain. It starts connecting lots of things. And it, it's, it's been used to help restore memories, even with people with debilitating uh, uh, brain diseases. Order and sanity, and it's, as you can see, it's more than the sum of its parts. You can say, well, here's the parts of it, you know, the rhythm, the melody, the harmony, and the pitch, and so forth. It's more than that. There's something that it connects to that's beyond that. In fact, it's got a spiritual power in it. It connects to something otherworldly beyond our current understanding. That's why some people say music is magical. I have a friend who has a brother who is deaf, grew up, he grew up deaf, and uh, when they watch movies, you know, the music is a huge part of creating your expectations and your mood and, and, and scaring you or filling you with joy so that your hearts burst, as one movie says. And, and she said, but he sits there during the musical parts and because it's not stirring him up. It's amazing what the soundtrack does to your music. It's a proven aid also in physical, mental, and emotional healing. And so some hospitals and nursing homes will use either live or taped music to help these people. There's another article in Scientific American that says pop music has become more moody in the past 50 years. They said music is a form of naturalistic data that provides insight into our minds and values. Two researchers did this over five decades, and the most striking finding is a change in key. From major keys that tend to sound warm and effervescent, think, we can work it out by the Beatles in 1965, to minor keys that can sound darker and more melancholic, like Boulevard of, Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day. I can't remember that one. 1960s, 85% of the songs 
were major keys. Now only 40% are in major keys. And the sound, they said, has shifted from bright and happy to something very complicated, sometimes dark and deep. They're slower and they're longer. And they end with this quote, our current favorites are likely to be emotionally ambiguous, more self-focused, antisocial, and with more profanity and violence. Now many people feel strongly about their music because part of the reason is because it connects with something deep. It connects with their soul. So they develop taste and a niche. And, and that's what speaks to them. That's what motivates them, empowers them, inspires them. And so there's a lot of disagreement about style of music. When I was in high school, it was the rockers and the cowboys. You know, those who like country music and those who like rock music. Well, I was in a rock band when I was in high school and I didn't particularly care for country music. But as I get older, <laughs> I'm beginning to identify with the message and the mood of those cowboys a whole lot more. But that struggle continued in the church, all throughout the church history. There were times they disagreed on uh, on the type of music in terms of the key it's in, really, like one key is demonic. And one, of, one disagreement was whether the minor key was really of God or not, you know, because it has that minor, lower, emotionally sad feel. You used it for sadness. Well, we should be always rejoicing. So they thought the minor key was of the devil. At one time, the piano was strictly of the devil because it was used in bars. And when people wanted to bring it into the church, that was a no-go. And there was all kind of arguments over music. Well, in the 70s, when the Jesus movement hit, which I was rejoicing in, I was in a rock band, and I was a Christian, and I was going, finally, music, like Larry Norman said, why should the devil have all the good music, you know? So here we are. So we, we're playing the rock songs and everything. Well, the church, a lot of the churches had a big hand up resisting that. No, no. That's, when you, that's been used by these long-haired hippie freaks, drug-taking, free-love free people with rebellion against the uh, administration, against the culture, against their parents. We can't use that. Now they were on to something in terms of the spirit and the music, that a lot of that music was created to express rebellion. But then they made the mistake of saying, well, in, this style in particular can't be used of God. And so I fought for a decade or so, one church after another had Bible studies trying to say, no, you know, when the pillar of fire moves to the next spot, you go with it. You know, God is doing a new thing. Sing a new song. He's doing new things. These Jesus people are getting saved, and they're proclaiming and expressing their salvation through music. Let's move with it. And, and so that took a long time. Well, finally, in the, after the 90s was over, in the, in the 2000s or so, then everything turned that way. And I went to one of the music conferences where they, this one guy was boasting about the fact, yep, I've jettisoned all the hymns. We threw away our hymn book. We're only going to do the modern music. And I'm going, for crying out loud. So since then, I've been fighting to keep the hymns. God did all these great things in the church, this great theology. Take, take John Wesley for one. His theology, enormous in the impact of getting us rightly understanding the Word of God. And his brother, Charles Wesley, puts it to music. The theology is rich in that Puritan culture especially, but even before that, really rich. And it's the history of the church. It's the history of what God is doing. You can't take that. You can't just, just go home and take all your old photograph books and say, well, you know, we're past that. Let's throw the wedding album away when the kids were young. You don't throw away your history. It's rich and you still learn from it. So now the last 15, 20 years, I've had to fight to keep the hymns back in church. It's ridiculous. The river of truth 
is in the center of God's will. And, you, and we're always wanting to go to one bank or the other. Not just music, it's almost everything we do. The church fights over it one way or the other. So, moving on. Viewing music through a biblical lens. So what does the Bible say about it? Well, it gives you a lot of instruments. The tambourine is one. The first possible reference to tambourine in terms of chronology is possibly in Ezekiel 28, where it seems to be talking about Satan as the power behind the throne of the king of Tyre. And when it talks about Satan, it talks about all the gifts that God gave him, and one of them was apparently a tambourine. So he apparently was uh, not only beautiful, it says, at that time, but music was apparently one of his fortes. Interesting, isn't it? Because he still uses music like a Pied Piper today. Harp and the flute with Jubal, we already mentioned that. There were instruments in temple worship set up by David. Lots of instruments, harps, trumpets, horns, cymbals, both loud and crashing, as they call them, stringed instruments, lutes, timbrels, and flutes. About the only one of those that we actually have in our worship today, Michelle, is flute. <laughs> at, at least we have the stringed instruments. But. And then there's the musical occasions. There's lots of occasions chronicled in the Scripture with, in terms of uh, how music was used. One of the first ones is Exodus 15. After God delivers the children of Israel through the Red Sea, it says Moses and the children of Israel sang a victory song. And that song, do you, do you remember? Do you remember there, was, there used to be a song to that? You remember how it goes? I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. It's from that Moses song, I will sing to the Lord, He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song has become my salvation. That was one of the first instances of celebration the Bible chronicles. And then the prophets used music for joyous, or the prophets talked about how music was used in the culture, both Israel's culture and the pagan cultures, for joyous occasions and weddings and everything. It references it several times, and it references it often in terms of how God's judgment stops the music. Because when He judges the nation, they don't have anything to sing about anymore. It robs them of their joy, and the songs halt. And God uses that as an example of showing, here's what will happen if you continue to rebel against Me. For instance, Israel. When God judged Israel by having them captive, taken captive by um, Babylon and the end of captivity, and it chronicles this in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willows. For those who carried us away required of us a song. And those who plundered us said, sing, sing one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing God's song in a strange land? And the end, the, Babylon gets that right back at them, not only in the Old Testament, but in the end in Revelation, when, the new, when, the, when Babylon rises again and God overthrows them, God has a long chapter of all the things that happen when He overthrows Babylon in the end, when He comes to judge the earth. And one of them is this, the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more. When they brought back the ark to Jerusalem, that famous instance where David was dancing, there was huge celebration with music. It says they brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. Now shouting is mentioned really often in conjunction with, with, with music. They brought it with shouting, the sound of a horn and trumpets. They made music with stringed instruments and harps. And David and all Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir, wood, 
harps, stringed instruments, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. And then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. When Solomon dedicated the temple, there was a similar thing. We read part of that earlier. It came to pass when the trumpeters and singers came in and they were sounding as one and they were rejoicing in the temple being built and the ark being installed in the Holy of Holies, that God's glory came down and filled the place like I hope He does here someday. Filled the place so much that they couldn't sing anymore. Now, when, and do you know that God sings? And when God starts singing, I think everything's going to go quiet. <laughs> God sings, you know, it's, it's, there's a place in Zephaniah 3.17. He sings over you with joy. I'll read the rest of that in a moment. So that's what happened in the temple. And then there's Jehoshaphat. When he wanted to fight um, these three nations, he, he put his singers first. They sang, and that was the spiritual warfare aspect of song. And then when they got delivered, they came back to Jerusalem, and it says they committed themselves to singing and praising God for the victory. When Nehemiah dedicated the walls of Jerusalem, there was singing and rejoicing. So it's used for celebration, but in Scripture it's also used for worship. Even pagan worship is mentioned. Daniel 3, 7. Nebuchadnezzar sets up an idol. It says, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, then fall down and worship the golden image. But it's used mainly in Scripture for corporate worship, for us, for the church, for God's people. And 1 Chronicles 25, when it talks about the temple music that David set up, notice how it phrases it. It says, these who were appointed to sing prophesied with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals to give thanks to the Lord. It uses it several times. It is the word for prophecy, what the, the same thing the prophets did. They were proclaiming God's truth through song. Psalm 68 may give an example of one of the temple celebrations when it talks about even the enemies of God are seeing what's going on here and what's going on. Your procession into the sanctuary, O God. The singers went first, and then the players on instruments, and then the maidens playing timbrels followed later. And the exhortation was for all the kingdoms of the earth to, quote, sing to God. There's Psalm 100 that gives you a little summary of what singing does spiritually and what God calls His people to do. So I'm going to read it to you. There's a song to this too, but we won't sing it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. This is one of the reasons why we sing before we one of the first things we do before we talk in the Word or perhaps uh, other types of fellowship. The singing is part of what God uses in worship to open the gates, to open the doors. Thanksgiving and praise is part of what He's ordained to enter into His presence. Enter in His presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Again, enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Enter into His courts with praise and be thankful to Him. The prophets used it often to teach, like Habakkuk 3, after he saw a vision of Babylon conquering Israel, and then he saw a vision of the end of the world. He says, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, even if there's no fruit in the vines, no cattle in the stalls, I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord and the God of my salvation. And then he signs the end of it to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. In other words, he wrote it as a song to be sung in the temple, as, as an instructive song about the end of the world and desolation and how we are to rejoice in the middle of it. Jesus and His disciples sang a hymn 
after the Last Supper, that, the Lord's Supper that night. They sang a hymn and went out. Wouldn't you like to know what that was? And think about this. Jesus singing. <laughs> Isn't that the coolest thing? I sang with Jesus last night. I mean, he's here and he sings with us and everything, but we usually don't hear him. If you hear him someday, please let me know. I, uh, I was involved, my, Susan and I, in a church at Highland Baptist Church in Waco when we were in college. And one of these, uh, one, one day the pastor gets up and he says, just so you parents know, several parents, or so, so that all of you know, several parents have told me that their little children have looked up and asked, who are the people? They ha it, had a, it had a balcony all the way across the back of the church where a lot of people sat. Um, they, they had a first floor and a second floor, so there were people up there. He says several children have, from different families at different times, said, who are the people in white robes in the balcony? <laughs> well, everybody wanted to sit in the balcony after that, or maybe they didn't want to sit in the balcony. But from then on, every worship service, we were all going, why can't we see it? Anyway, he's here, and we are worshiping with him. But it was, must have been cool for the disciples to sing with him. At the end, there's worship in heaven. John, throughout Revelation, tells you about that. But it's not just corporate worship, it's personal worship. You and I are to have a very personal relationship with God. The whole book of Psalms is a prayer book full of songs and prayer, where David is, he's exhorting corporate worship, but he's exhorting individual worship. And there's a whole lot of songs dedicated to that. Psalm 104 talks about all of God's wonderful works. It goes into great detail, and it ends with this, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The whole earth is full of your possessions. If you just look around at all the things He's done, not just the creation, what He's doing in your life, the answers to prayer, so many, many things, there's a lot to sing about. Then He says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. And then here's the personal part. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have any being. My meditation of Him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. I will sing praise to my God. Very personal. James 5 says, Are you afflicted? Pray. Are you merry? Sing psalms. In, in Psalm 33, it says, Rejoice, you righteous. Praise is beautiful and comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. I've never seen one of those instruments. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. It gives you the exhortation to do it and the content. Psalms 57, he says, My heart is fixed, O Lord. My heart is fixed. I am going to sing. I'm going to awake up my psaltery and harp, and I'm going to wake early. I'm going to awaken the dawn, one of the translations says. And then there's Psalm 150. So I want you to stand. Psalm 150. I'm going to wake you up. Not that I have that much more in the sermon, but I want to wake you up and let's, let's sing this together. This is Psalm 150, word for word. We have done it, I think. Am I okay, Caleb, singing in this one? Okay. Uh, we've done this, but it's been a long, long, long time ago, and most of you may not know it. But um, I, I put music to this in college, and we started singing it in our group and in our college group and then other college groups got it and it ended up on a, on a little tape that went all over the place. And so this was one of the things. Now what it is, 
It's word for word, Psalm 150, and, and look at it as a summary of a lot of the things that we've talked about already, a summary of personal and corporate worship, and a summary of the kinds of things you praise Him for. Notice it says you praise Him for who He is, His excellent greatness, and you praise Him for what He's done, His mighty acts. And then it tells you what kind of instruments to praise Him for. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to sing the line and you echo me, okay? But the trick is you start echoing before I get done. So I'm going to go, praise ye the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise ye the Lord, praise God. And that's the way it'll go. You start right before I end on my last word or so. Here we go. Praise ye the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary. Now, one of the things that I think he wants us to do is put his word to music, especially the Psalms. It, it puts your word in your mind, in your heart, and you're singing the word back to God. Can't get, can't get much more rich than that in terms of worship and engaging the Lord. You can be seated. So, the last thing I want to cover is, by the way, one final thing. There's several instances of where song is used as spiritual warfare. One of them is in Jehoshaphat. These armies come against him. He cries out to the Lord, and God says, the battle's mine. And then he, what he does is he sets his singers in front. <laughs> what army has ever done that? They're in front, and they go forth marching, and God defeats all the enemies. And it, and it, it has that phrase, uh, whenever the singers started singing, God sent ambushes against the enemy. That's one time. There's also the time when David played his harp for Saul. Remember Saul was plagued by an evil spirit that God allowed to plague him for lots of reasons. 
And Saul said, and, 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 and they recommended to him, hey, bring somebody who can play the harp. They already understood the spiritual power of music. Now this is an evil spirit we're talking about. This, this again proves again, scripturally, that it's a spiritual force that music is. So David was sent, and here's what it says. Whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, the evil spirit that got allowed, David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart. In Psalm 149, there's a very interesting thing that I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about that much. It's written to the saints, and it says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Praise Him with a dance. Praise Him with a timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in that, and pleasure in His people. And then it has this phrase. Listen to this. Let the saints, of joyful, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. And let them praise. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. The high praises of God in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Why the two-edged sword? To execute vengeance on the nations, punishments on the people, to bind those kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute the judgment written, for this honor has his saints. You're singing and you're bearing the sword. Well, what is the sword? Which is the word? You're, this is spiritual. He, they're not, he's not saying there in Psalm 149 for Israel to take up the literal sword. It's the spiritual sword. And he binds kings and nations who are coming against them, or perhaps rebelling against God, executing the judgment written. That's what Elijah did. Elijah stands forth before King Ahab one day and says, it's not going to rain anymore, according to my word. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he brought a nation to its knees through his prayer and, 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 and when, what was he doing? Well, God had said in Deuteronomy to Moses, if they ever do these things and turn away from me, I'll, I'll cause it not to rain. But in order to enact that word, among other things, he raised up a prophet who executed the judgment written. So you ought to have the Bible in one hand and singing and prayer in the other. That's one of the things we can do when our culture, our nation, and our world is turning away to execute on them the judgment written. Now that's a good thing, because in God, we ask Him in mercy, uh, you know, while, while He's in judgment to remember mercy, but that's what brings people back, is when they execute the judgment written. Alright, last thing, cultivating and maintaining a biblical perspective. What have we learned from all this that will help us? Number one, music is God's gift. It's God's gift. He created it. He's the one that gave, if, if, if Satan had a tambourine before he fell, he's the one that gave it to him. He's the one that gave Jubal the ability to create the instruments he did. And all truth is his truth and all music, all sounds are his sounds. Whenever we create a way to discover a new sound like the electric guitar or the keyboard or whatever, we discover these new sounds. We're discovering sounds God already has there. We're just discovering, just like you would discover another continent. You were discovering what he has created. It's not evil in themselves. We're discovering what He's created. Number two, music is an outlet for the soul's expression. That seems obvious. It expresses our joys and our sorrows, our celebrations and our laments. David's Psalms, again, reflect all of that variety of emotion. It gives us instruction, inspiration, and encouragement. 
Number three, music has a variety of expressions to match the occasions of life and a variety of instrumentation and a variety of styles. That's what I was trying to tell the church in the 70s and the church in the 2000s or the 2010s or the wherever we are now. I guess we're past that. Anyway, there's a variety of things. Number four, music has a spiritual dimension. And this is so key. If you take away anything today, take this away. It's more than the sums of its parts. It touches the otherworldly. David playing for Saul, for instance. If it drove away an evil spirit, can it invite one in? It's engaging with the spiritual world. If you can drive away evil spirits with it, you can invite them in. So you need to be careful what you listen to. Even without lyrics, even without lyrics, music has power. There's something, you, you, you can put the pitch and the tempo and everything together, but there's something that stirs up. God created to do that because He created it mostly to worship Him. It engages, those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so it engages the spiritual world. Well, there are three types of spirits at least. There's the human spirit. So that's why music, that's one of the reasons we enjoy music so much. Somebody's singing about something wonderful. He's in love. And we capture that spirit of love. Or he's in lust. And we can, we, we can enter into that sensuality by listening to his music. Or he's angry. And we can, we can catch an angry spirit, a rebellious spirit. So you got to be careful what spirits you're inviting in by the, by the music you listen to. The bitterness, lust, hatred, covetousness, vengeance. It has a way of picking up the spirit uh, and the mentality of the songwriter. And, 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 and it can influence you. It whispers at you. And it stirs you at a soul level. So don't just fling your doors open to everything, which is easy to do these days. Because if you get on... Now, Spotify has 70 million songs, they say, on it. You can find a genre or something and just open the door and, hey, all the songs like this. And you can listen. It would take more than a lifetime, I think, to listen to 70 million songs. You can listen to all kinds of things, and they're not all good. You're going to have to have discernment. Remember, all religions and philosophies and cults have some music. You go into New Age stores and others, and they're playing this moody music. There's a spirit in it, and you've got to be discerning. Fifth, music's primary or at least ultimate purpose is worship. And that's why we had a criteria for worship at, at Trinity Fellowship. God-focused, scripturally sound, a breadth of truth. In other words, not just one thing, not one little theme, one little thing in God's Word, but as much of the Word, the whole counsel of God, as Paul talks about, as you possibly can get. Have a breadth of truth, and a breadth of style. Here's the style again. So, you know, we, we had a kind of a blended worship with, with several different styles. I couldn't get into all the styles, so that's why I want to get somebody else to come and lead <laughs> at some point. But there's a breadth of style. That's, I think that gets at it when Paul talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's poetry in it. It's clearly stated. Uh, it's memorably stated. It's articulated well. It's melodious so that you can remember it for corporate worship so that we can actually join in, which leads to the next thing. It's congregational. It's one thing for you to listen to songs while you're driving and showering and doing all those other things we talked about, 
that you, like, like I listened to a lot of Lauren Daigle, and I've got, I've got all her breaths and everything, you know, it, it pauses here and, and it goes up there and does all that kind of thing. But you try to do that in worship and never, everybody's going, I'm confused where I'm at. Where do I breathe and where do I say, oh, 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 and how do I get along there? So you've got to have it so that people can learn it and engage it. And, and the key theme, last of all, the key theme is this one phrase summarizes it. From the beginning to the end, throughout the Psalms, in fact, in Psalm 136, I think, or 7, he repeats this 26 times. David set it up in the initial temple. Solomon sung it. Jehoshaphat sung it. It keeps coming up, and that's this phrase. The Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. The Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. There's the theme of your song. So in developing discernment, keep a couple of things in mind. Uh, if we can let, have that scripture from Ephesians 5, listen to these words. The two places that really discusses music, personally and corporately, this is especially corporate that Paul talks about is in Ephesians and Colossians. I'm going to read a couple of verses from each one. Now prior to this one in Ephesians, Paul has a long chapter where he says, I want you to walk in love, avoid immorality, avoid uncleanness, avoid covetousness, avoid foolish talking and coarse jesting. Walk as children of light. Have the fruit of the Spirit. Walk circumspectly, that is, not as fools, but as wise, being aware of what's going on around you. That's the discernment. And then walk in the Spirit. And when he says walk in the Spirit, he says this, be filled with the Spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading now with the, with the text. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be unwise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, there's the debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the first thing he says after be filled with the Spirit is speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what prefaces uh, the, the, uh, the, the music. And notice it is being filled with the Spirit and walking as children of light. But notice these elements. You're speaking to one another as well as to God. You're edifying one another because you're rehearsing the great truths of God. You're rehearsing the great things He has done. So you're reminding each other. You're speaking to one another. There's three types. By the way, we don't have time to go into the, these words, but they're different words. The Psalms probably, there's a little confusion even in the Greek, amongst the Greek scholars about what the three words are actually referring to. But they're almost agreed on this. The Psalms is referring to probably the Psalms. And the hymns are referring to uh, the theological um, uh, capturing of what Jesus had said. And, and what they were, what they, you know, the truths that they were trying to catalog in the New Testament. You have the Psalms kind of capturing Old Testament truths. They had some hymns that were, were being written even, and, and Paul actually quotes a couple of them in some of his letters. And then there's spiritual songs that they say were probably more extemporaneous, spontaneous songs as they were filled with the Spirit that they came up with. And notice you're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord as well as speaking to one another. You notice all the elements there. Then Colossians 3, let's read that one. In Colossians, Colossians spends the whole chapter before this text saying, put off all these old things. He lists immorality, uh, impurity, passion, evil desire, put off anger, put off wrath and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. And then he says, put on the new stuff. 
Put on the new self. Set your mind on things above. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, long-suffering, and forgiving one another. And most of all, put on love. So all of that precedes this passage. Let the, above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace to your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you're teaching and admonishing through music. You have to remember that's one of its purposes as well as worship. And you do it with grace in your hearts. And whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and in the name of the Lord. So what do we take away? Number one, be careful with this awesome gift. It has the power to hurt or to heal. Number two, be discerning. There's wrong spirits, human, demonic, or otherwise. It can influence your mood. It can influence your life perspective. It can influence the condition of your soul. This weekend, um, Pastor Ellen talked quite a bit about restoring a noisy soul and how to restore your soul. If you're having trouble in your soul, and, and I've had plenty of it in these last few years, one of the ways that I find deliverance and healing is through music. Good, scriptural, sound, melodious, powerful music. And I sing over and over again. One of the first things I would recommend you do, enter his courts with praise. In your prayer time in the morning, have your songbook or a hymn book or both with really good, rich songs and sing first. Sing first to the Lord. Be diligent to use music for its primary purpose, that is worship. Personally, in your day-to-day -day life, notice the connection between David's hymn and prayer book, between music, prayer, and the restoration of the soul. So that in your quiet time and then throughout the day, use music to restore your soul. We are troubled about many things. Use music to the full to restore your soul. And then, of course, corporately in worship, let's fully utilize entering His gates with praise and thanksgiving, engaging a sovereign, majestic God until we can sing no more because His glory fills our hearts and fills the temple. So stand with me and let's do a couple of things to close. In Revelation, there's a place where John is beholding what's going on. And he sees and he hears someone say, Who's worthy to take the scroll out of the hand of the him that sits on the throne? Now, in the scroll, we're not exactly sure what it is, but it's obvious that it contains our redemption, the redemption of the world, the, the key to salvation, the key to life, the restoration of all things. We can tell that because of what follows. And, and there was no one able to open it. No one can save himself. The earth can't do enough good. And it says, John says, I wept because no one was able to open the scroll. And then he said, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has prevailed to open it. So he takes the scroll from the right hand of God as the only one worthy. And the creatures and the elders surrounding the throne fall down before him, each holding a harp and, the, and a bowl of incense, which it says are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe language and the people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then they were joined 
by a myriad of other angels and thousands upon thousands, he says, with a loud voice saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then every creature, every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them said to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. Everybody in the end is going to be singing. It starts there at the throne. It starts when he takes, it op and takes that role and, and as Lord, as the only worthy one, as the Lion and the Lamb redeems all things to himself. And he's the only one that's worthy. So let's sing. Let's sing a cappella. Let's sing a couple of verses from a couple of hymns that, that do exactly what those angels were doing. Can you hit that next slide? All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the Let's join with them that are already doing that. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and round him, Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting Speaking of crown him, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. Crown him the Lord of love. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. All hail, Redeemer, hail for 
And all the angels and all the elders and all the people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, say it again. Amen. Praise God.